Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're very glad you're here. This church is a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. We welcome people of all religions, ethnic and racial origins, sexual orientations, abilities, tastes in music, political leanings, and other circumstances. Unitarian Universalism is a long-standing heritage, and it is part of our religious heritage to believe that there is a spark of the divine in each person. It is within this heritage that I ask you now to greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Let us say together our chalice-lighting words. In the light of truth and in the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Our, our call to worship is from Annie Dillard. We are here to abet creation and to witness to it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. If someone were to ask you, what is this church all about that you go to? You could tell them our mission statement, which we say every Sunday together. We say, at First UU of Austin, we gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. And may it be so. You'll see something in your bulletin that's a little unusual. We now have a moment with Occupy. Here's what we've been doing. We uh, invited some of the occupiers to come to supper. You know, we have supper here at 6 o'clock every Wednesday night. And they've done us the honor of coming. And we've been having conversations um, about what we could do together, how we can help them. And so uh, Karina and our social justice ministry have been working on a statement of solidarity from the social justice ministry and Occupy. You know, it's very difficult to speak for the Occupy movement with one voice, as it is difficult to speak for the UU congregation with one voice. In addition to having that in common, we have many other things in common. And so we've been working on this joint statement. It's in draft form. The Occupy people haven't um, given their okay to it yet, and neither has our social justice ministry given its okay. So it's in uh, draft form, and we welcome your input at the coffee hour. And I would like to introduce Ronnie and Chris and Scott. Um, Scott is a longtime member of our congregation. He's been very involved with the Occupy mo- uh, movement. And so... Um, Friday night, they got evicted by the police in the rainstorm. They came at 9.30 and said, be out in an hour. And so um, everything is very up in the air for the occupiers right now. I'm uh, grateful to them for coming to our service anyway. They were here for the 9 o'clock one, too. I'm going to ask Ronnie to come read the statement that we've been working on, um, just so you will be able to hear what it is, and then you'll be able to talk to him and to Chris, to Scott, and to Karina about it at the coffee hour. 
This, this is in draft form, and it will go to our General Assembly for consensus and adoption once it's in the final form. Um, so here's how it goes. The first Unitarian Universalist Church social uh, ministry um, uh, and Occupy Austin stand in solidarity. We recognize that our paths share a, mu a mutual destination, one that promotes peace, liberty, justice, equity, compassion, and the inherent worth and dignity of every person in every city, state, and nation around the world. We further assert the shared ideal of a democratic process where practices are transparent, elections are open to members, and ideas are open to criticism so that we, so that we might govern ourselves. To these ends, we recognize that the earth sustains us, and in kind, we too should sustain it. Both of our organizations commit to maintaining our autonomy. Neither UU nor OA is under the direction of the other, but we simply wish to make evident our shared goals for the community. Our reading this morning is from Russell Swickert, the first astronaut to make an attached spacewalk, who wrote the following about his experience in 1969 aboard the Apollo 9. Up there, you go around the Earth every hour and a half, time after time after time. You look down. You can't imagine how many borders and boundaries you cross, and you don't even see them. The Earth is a whole, so beautiful, so small, and so fragile. You realize that on that small spot is everything that means anything to you. All history, all poetry, all music, all art, death, birth, love, tears, all games, all joy, all on that small spot. And there's not a sound, only a silence, the depth of which you've never known. I'm preaching from the Bible today. I know that's going to make some of y'all uncomfortable, and I appreciate your trust <laughs> in knowing that even though I am preaching from the Bible, I'm not going to say that anybody's going to hell because Unitarian Universalists don't believe in hell. Um, I have to say things like this, and it makes me mad because some people in Unitarian Universalism are so traumatized by church that this is necessary. I'm not mad at you. I'm, you know, just kind of free-floating mad about it. <laughs> I'm also Bible preaching because my cousins are visiting today, and um, <laughs> and one of them told my Aunt Mabel that I was here in Austin teaching the Unitarians about the Bible, and I wanted to make an honest woman out of her. <laughs> Let me start with a poem by David White. It's called Loaves and Fishes. This is not the age of information. This is not the age of information. Forget the news and the radio and the blurred screen. This is the time of loaves and fishes. People are hungry 
and one good word is bread for a thousand. My um, favorite way of looking at Bible stories is to see them as metaphorical language, to look at the story as if it were a dream, and then interpret the dream. What's it trying to tell us? And there are two stories that are put right together in the Gospel of Mark, and those guys didn't write the stories just kind of as they came to them. Um, They were very intelligent, as you are, and they put things together for a reason. And so two stories are together, and here they are. Number one, John the Baptist was in jail at the king's house, Herod. He was kind of a king. It's called the Tetrarch. He was the flunky who was put in charge of Palestine by the Roman emperor. They lived like a king. And he had married in a kind of a weird way, Herodias. I won't go into all of it. But John the Baptist had spoken out against this particular marriage. And so Herodias, Herod's wife, was mad at John the Baptist, and he was in jail downstairs. There was a big banquet going on upstairs, torches on the the walls and music and dancing girls and lots of food and lots of alcohol. And so, um, you know the kind of party it is. (laughs) One of the things that happened was that Herodias' daughter danced the Dance of the Seven Veils And Herod, the king, was so taken with his wife's daughter's performance that he said to her, My dear, that was wonderful. Amazing. And I would like to give you anything you ask for. Well, she, being a young woman, uh, went to ask her mother what she should ask for. And her mother, uh, not being a young woman, being a bitter woman, Uh, of a certain age, uh, who had been dissed by the prophet downstairs, said, ask him for John the Baptist's head on a platter. So she did. This is the reason why the director of religious education that I had in South Carolina, after having heard some Bible stories, because she was from California and never heard any, um... I was training the teachers in how to teach the Bible, and, um, and she said, you want us to tell these stories to the children? <laughs> yeah, so jo- uh, John the Baptist's head on a platter was delivered to Salome, the daughter of Herodias, um, and his disciples came to bury him and to tell his family about it. And guess who was in John the Baptist's family? If you grew up in a Bible preaching church, you'll know Jesus was his cousin, Rabbi Jesus. So he heard about the death of his cousin. Next story. Jesus goes to be alone, meditate, takes a boat across the other side of the lake. And I'm imagining he's going to grieve, feel his feelings, and pray and be quiet. Um, people followed him and he felt sorry for them and he started healing their sick which is not really a way to make people go away (laughs) so he was healing their sick and he was talking to them 
And um, they got hungry. They were out in the middle of nowhere. And the disciples came and said, Rabbi, uh, the people uh, are hungry. You need to take a break from preaching, which is something that preachers hear a lot. Um, you need to take a break and let the people eat something. And he said, um, you give them something to eat. Well, this was pretty early in his ministry, and up until now, the disciples had just been following Rabbi Jesus around, watching him do amazing things. And that had been their job. They just kind of went, wow, look at that. And, um, and now, suddenly, he was saying, you give them something. Totally different dynamic going on there. And they said, we don't, you know, we, that, nobody had, we, uh, We don't have, it would take 200 days wages to feed this crowd. And so he said, this is the, this is the thing. He goes, what do you have? Well, we got two loaves. There's a kid over there. He's got two loaves of bread and five loaves of bread and two fishes. And Jesus says, bring them here. And Jesus breaks the loaves of bread and breaks the fish in pieces and says, go hand it to the people. And here's the story. The story is that everybody got fed, 5,000 people who were there. It actually says 5,000 men plus women and children. Um, <laughs> don't think about it too much. It'll make you tired. 5,000 men plus women and children got fed, and there were 12 bushel baskets left over of food. So, did it really happen? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Take it like a teaching story. I'm going to put the, story, the, 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 the question of whether it really happened you know, would 12 police from Los Angeles, if they'd been there with their notebooks, would they have written down that that happened, um, that the food multiplied? We don't know. So, but the teaching story is sitting here in front of us. Um, you have people gathered and they're hungry. You have two banquets side by side. You've got the banquet at the king's house and people are hungry. What are they hungry for? They're hungry for power and they're hungry to party. And they're hungry to do whatever they want to do. And the king is hungry to get his, um, to, to get his kingness on. And he has got to uh, save face in front of all his guests gathered. And so he has to do something. He doesn't want to do, doesn't want to kill John the Baptist. Because he knows he's going to get a lot of backlash from the people about it. Because John the Baptist is beloved out in the countryside. And, um, and he's just, uh, you know, not that definite a guy. He, he just was forced into this decision. Um, so the people are hungry at the king's house, and then the people are hungry out there by the lake, and they're hungry for wisdom, and they're hungry for stories, and they're hungry for teaching, and they're hungry for healing, and they're hungry, just hungry for food. The great poet Bruce Springsteen said, everybody's got a hungry heart. People's heart, our hearts are hungry. 
And, and I love this passage from a detective novel by James Lee Burke. I don't know if you've ever read him, but he is a poet too. And I found some words that I think um, describe it. And these words are kind of in a Christian context. Um, a preacher who is uh, baptizing the main character in this book. Right after he comes up out of the river water at his baptism, the preacher says this to him. You done been joined in spirit to God, to the earth, to sky, to water and trees. Jesus is your light, your sword and shield. There ain't no place in his kingdom you don't belong. You ain't never got to be afraid again. I think one of the things that everybody's hungry for is to hear that they've got a sword and shield, that they've got a place of belonging, that they never got to be scared again. Whether it's your sword and shield might be Jesus or God or your higher power, it might be the truth or it might be your knowledge or it might be a love. It might be any number of things, but you need a sword and a shield in this life. And you need to know that there's a place you belong. And you need to know, you long to know, when is the time when you don't have to be scared? Well, the most important part of the story to me, the second banquet story out by the lake, is where Jesus says to the disciples, what do you have? Pretty simple question. What do you have? And I think if this were a dream and the divine one, the spirit of life and love, asked me, what do you have? There are hungry people out here. What do you have? I would think, what, what do I have, number one? Uh, and then I would think, what, what expands when you share it? What are the kinds of things that this bread could be a metaphor? What expands when you share it? Love expands when you share it. Um, energy, if it's spent correctly, expands when you share it. You know, you try to rest. You try to conserve your energy. Um, you sit on the couch. You watch TV to rest. Uh, you know that doesn't work. You don't really feel refreshed or energized. I know, because I've tried this over and over again. Sometimes... <laughs> I think maybe it'll work today. <laughs> and uh, blessings are also inexhaustible and energizing when you start giving blessings to everything. That's another sermon, but when you send good wishes to other people, and if you're in a native frame of mind, you even send good wishes to the plants, the trees, the animals, you keep sending good wishes out, and it kind of multiplies and makes you feel uh, like a fountain of blessing. You know, there's a spiritual um, law that says there needs to be a flow. I've talked to you about this before, saying, you know, be a stream and not a swamp. There has to be a flow of things. There's got to be a flow of love. You can't hold anything too tightly. You've got to hold love loosely. You've got to hold all your certainties loosely. If you hold your certainties too tight, um, your life's going to break. And the universe will see to it. And if you hold your money too tightly, this is a sickness of our culture. We hold our money so tightly and we, we don't want to let it 
flow. We even hold our old furniture and our old clothes. We're like, I'll use that again sometime. Don't take it away from me. I don't have to give away this dress that I ain't worn in five years. Um, You know, I read once something that felt true to me, and that is if you haven't used it in the last year or two, it's not yours. It belongs to someone else. You should let it go to that person for whom it belongs, and they're probably looking for it at the thrift store. (laughs) In Islam, there's even a spiritual rule called zakat, where you give away 2% of your holdings every year. Let it flow, just to keep it flowing. And so the person who shared the loaves and the fishes, or all the people who shared their loaves and fishes, I don't know, maybe the miracle was that hungry people shared with each other, because everybody had a secret stash of maybe loaves and fishes, uh, and they brought it out when they were shamed into it by this 12-year-old boy bringing out his. I don't know what happened. Again, that's not the question on the table, but um, maybe this is a story, uh, a kind of an economic story. And uh, certainly Jesus spent a lot of time focusing on economics. And there are some conservative Bible-believing Christians that we, you know, in our narrow view of Christianity, we think, oh, conservative Christians are conservative politically too. But no, there are a lot of radical conservative Christians, I want you to know. And they would see this story as a story of sharing the wealth. You know, you take what you have and you share it with other people and you see who needs what and you... Let it go. Give it around. Um, I think this is, that is not a, a, a bad interpretation of this story because Jesus talked about economics in another story. Um, I'll tell it fast. The story of Lazarus the beggar at the doorstep of the rich man. And the story goes quickly like this. There's this hungry beggar covered in sores who is at the gate of the rich man and the rich man lives in his, uh, in his mansion, and he is practicing trickle-down economics because he has um, great banquets, and, the, and Lazarus the beggar gets the crumbs from the banquet. So they just, you know, they take the leftovers, and they kind of scrape them out in the street, and they go, go, oh, Lazarus, we're doing you a favor. And um, Jesus says, uh, Lazarus died, and the rich man died, and the rich man's in this place of flames, which we don't believe in. But it's a place of flames. And, um, and Lazarus the beggar is in the place where God lives. And in the story, it's above the other place. And, um, and the rich man, who's hot and thirsty, says, Let's, Can you trickle down some water from there to cool my burning throat? And... Um, And if this were a sweet Unitarian story, we would say, you know, and in heaven the heart of the beggar was moved, and he gave the poor rich man who now saw the air of his waist some water. No, no, that's not how it goes. (laughs) He's like, too bad. This is just if the beggar were from Jersey. (laughs) Which he wasn't, but I just was there, so... Okay, so I planned to preach on this story last month. I've got to turn my uh, sermon topics into the newsletter early the month before. And so I was going to, I forgot about God and the karma fairy. 
and how when I'm going to preach on something, I get tested on it the week before. It's so annoying. So I never preach on patience, for example. God forbid. <laughs> so I'm preaching on sharing. What do you have? And sharing and, um, and this no trickle-down economics and um, feeling pretty good about it. Helping those less fortunate. And then Friday night, the Occupy people get uh, evicted in the rain. And I get a call. We're trying to find some housing for the homeless folks who've been partnering with us in this Occupy movement. They don't have any place to go. Can you all put up some of them? And I think, oh, man. I don't want to take a stranger into my house tonight. I don't want to ask y'all to take strangers into your house tonight. I'm not a young, naive minister who would do something like that anymore. I've done it in the past, not anymore. I'm, I, I'm, I want balance in my life. I, I want to give away, but I don't want to give everything. And I don't mind endangering myself, but I'm not going to endanger somebody I love. And... Uh, the people I love have asked me not to endanger myself. And, um, and I don't want to put you all in that position. And so I'm just flummoxed. And I'm thinking Friday night, we have to solve this homeless problem right now. <laughs> because I see the Occupy folks, uh, young, idealistic, interested in, in putting the spotlight of of attention on the economic structure of our society. Is it broken? Is that why it's not working? Or was it structured like this to keep the poor poor and the rich rich? I have my opinions, but that's not what this sermon is about. And um, I see them getting bogged down. Yes, I'm going to say it. Bogged down with the homeless problem. And I'm mad because... I'm mad about another thing now. Um, I'm mad because... Just take a number. There's a list. Not at you. Um, Because another good movement is getting, is it sidetracked? I don't know. They, they need to be working on, on corporate personhood and the evils of the banking system. And here they are trying to take care of actual homeless people who don't have any place to go in the rain and the cold. And so I think... I, what am I, what are we called to do here? We're called to share, but are we called to give away everything? Are we called, how are we supposed to act in this situation? How would, for example, you know, I was raised on the story of the Good Samaritan. You pass somebody in a ditch, you wrap them up, you put them in a hotel, you go back. But, like, what if every time you go down the road there's a guy in the ditch? Every time. Or what if every time you go down the road there are 20 people in the ditch? Sooner or later you're just going to sit down in the ditch and cry. (laughs) What I'm telling you is, I would love to set up a system where we um, uh, decide to share what we have with, with clean, pleasant, deserving, intelligent, and sane people only. And, and that's not going to happen. And so what do we do? I look forward to your input. I look forward to your 
thoughts about it. I look forward to this conversation. And if you could, you know, solve the problem of homelessness by, like, tomorrow, just please get to me with your idea, and we'll see if we can't make that miracle happen. This is a miracle story. It's a small miracle of sharing, or it's a big miracle of matter uh, expanding, or it's just a miracle that this many intelligent, calm, and full of goodwill people can have this conversation together. So I'm looking forward to it. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am thine, I rest in thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.